I've talked to people from all over the world, and people have said there's not really any place like this. You know, and I mean, that's from people from New York, people from London, people from other parts of Europe. And they're like, this place is special. And I mean, we've had visitors from all over the world come in and say just that. You know, it was like, my friend was here, and he came here, and then he was like, you're going to Seattle, you got to go to the Blue Moon. Welcome to Power of Place, Stories of the Pacific Northwest. I'm Edward Krigsman. Last time we enjoyed a conversation with Michael Hoover, who shared how an unanchored life disconnected from any community resulted in homelessness, crime, and decades of incarceration. Today we'll learn about a historic Seattle tavern that for almost 100 years has formed the basis of community connection, anchoring people through a heady mix of politics, poetry, visual art, and live music spanning many genres. Our tour guide today is someone who has patronized and also worked there for decades and will soon be taking the reins as owner of the business to steward it toward its 100th anniversary. So today we're going to explore how authentic community unfolds organically and naturally given the right place, how a single place can become central to that community, so much so that patrons will fight to protect it. And we'll also see what happens when one person finds that the stories of that place become his own life story. And stick around at the end of today's podcast, we'll learn how you can make this place yours in a small way by contributing your own artwork. And you don't have to be a skilled professional artist to participate. So let's welcome our guest today, Timothy Dooley, known as Dooley, a longtime regular of the Blue Moon Tavern, a bartender there for many years, and soon to be its next owner. Let's drive Hi, Dooley. Hey, how you doing? Good. Well, where do you hail from? I was born in San Diego. I went to high school in L.A. and moved around a bunch in between. Moved up here to the Pacific Northwest when I was 18 and never left. And then, um, so why did you wind up in Seattle or in the Northwest? Got a job and a place to live. Okay. It's where my sisters lived, where my parents planned to retire, so okay. it just seemed right. A lot of people just say there's no other place to go kind of up here in the corner of the country, right? Once you're here, yeah. you know, it's just the Pacific Ocean. I was curious if you could share with us when you first encountered the Blue Moon. It was like somewhere in fall of 96. Okay. How old were um, you, roughly? 24. Okay. Yeah, 24. And I had moved in with some friends across the freeway, and we were walking around, and we decided to walk into the rainbow next door, and I soon found the Blue Moon next door to it and liked them both. And then what made you sort of come back? Well, uh, first it was the rainbow. It was live music every night, and that's what I was into. And then when I found the blue moon, it just felt like home, too. Gotcha. And then you became a regular over the years, it sounds like. Yep. Started drinking there pretty much every day off the get-go. And what was it like? If you can recall, you know, that was how many years ago? Almost 25 years ago. Yeah. It was um, It was a lot different. The neighborhood was a lot different. The blue moon was busy during the day with all regulars. Um, guys getting off work, having beers, and hanging out before going home. Um, you go in there late at night, a lot of times it was dead. There was nothing happening. Mm. And the Rainbow next door, where I started hanging out, we had live music every night. So was, I was there more often. And then what was the transition from being a regular to actually becoming a bartender and working there? Um, well, I was, I was working at the Rainbow over different years here and there with different owners, and I was you know, drinking at the moon every day. And one day when I was at the blue moon, 
they asked me if I wanted to back them up because the backup wasn't there and it was busy. So it's kind of how it started. It just started out backing up the bartender on Friday and Saturday nights if it got busy. And then I got put on the books and hired on. And when I lost my landscape job, which I was doing, um, like a week later, one of the bartenders quit. So I ended up with my own shifts. And what was that connection then between the rainbow and the blue moon? They're right next door to each other. Gotcha. Um, they've always kind of fed off each other. Um, when I first was there, the rainbow had hard liquor. The blue moon did not. So a lot of the patrons would go back and forth. Um, we had live music. The blue moon did not. And yeah, they kind of, they melded really well together because it's just different environments and different atmospheres. Now as a bartender and soon-to-be owner, if you were to give our guests a tour, what would be like three things that you might point out if we'd stepped in and said it was our first visit? And Definitely the cartoon mural on the wall, the, the original sign, and then just all the paintings and pictures on the wall that you know could just kind of give its own story. Can you describe what's on that mural? And It's a depiction of... From from what it was described to me, a drunken night in the blue moon. Um, it's a guy shaking a, a pinball machine until the ball flies out and flies around the bar and makes a ruckus. So awesome! Did you bring in anything into the studio today to share? Yep. Okay, let's see it. So it's a snow globe. Oh, it says blue moon. Yeah, very cool. It's just I thought about it, and it's just one of the many many things that. People have created and brought in over the years that commemorate the blue moon. It's There's so many things that I've found that people have made, either the bar has made or somebody has made for the bar, that show how people feel about it. Well, I'd love to hear stories. Our podcast is really stories about the Pacific Northwest. So we'd love to hear maybe how the Blue Moon was founded. How did it get its name? What is its origin? Um, as far as I know, it was founded by a guy who dropped out of college right around the end of Prohibition, Hank Reverman, and he decided to open a bar. And back then you had to be a mile away from campus, which 8th Avenue is a mile away. And the name, I believe, derived from... It was supposed to be, I believe, the Big Dipper, and somebody on the Ave that had a cafe called the Blue Moon Cafe was closing and giving up their sign, and they ended up with the sign, so they changed the name to the Blue Moon. And I think it was probably a little more of a college bar then, just because that was the first place you get where you could get liquor. First place if you're leaving the campus. If you're leaving campus, uh there was the Blue Moon, the Duchess, I believe maybe the Narbar were the ones that you could actually go to the closest. So Gotcha. And that was 1934. 1934. And actually, I just did some research. 1934 is when um, Rogers and Hart published Blue Moon, the song, you know, later <laughs> made famous by Elvis. So it's kind of interesting to think that they both started at the same year. And I think that the um, Rainbow Tavern was also around even at that time. Yeah, the Rainbow opened at the same time a bar called the Rainbow opened. It was a whole lot different than the one I knew, but yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. The one, when I came in, it was already transformed from what was the Fabulous Rainbow into a strip club, into an Irish bar, and then back to what the Fabulous, trying to be what the Fabulous Rainbow was. So it was basically an Irish bar trying to be a music venue. And it's no longer around, correct? It is not. Now it's a brewery. Okay. 
I heard also that the blue moon was one of the, after the war, um, obviously the University of Washington was flooded with people because of the GI Bill that came back, service people to go to college, right? Because they could get that. So I heard that at the time the blue moon was flooded, well, the whole area was flooded by a lot of new students and some older students as well. And I also read it was one of the few bars outside of the central area that welcomed people of color, black servicemen. I've heard from one of the only one above the ship canal pretty much that did. So let's talk about kind of that post-war era, the 1950s. It became kind of a place, I think, a lot of activists, people that were against McCarthyism, artists and poets and so forth. So any stories to share from that period? Um, well, I've heard stories of, you know, an FBI plant agent planted in it and McCarthyism. And there was a contingent of communists, basically, and socialists that hung out, a lot of beatniks. And on Tom Robbins, Theodore Ruthke was there, and Theodore Ruthke used to bring down his students from UW and actually hold class inside the tavern. And then there was a whole circle of people apparently around Rothke, Richard Hugo, Carolyn Kaiser, Stanley Kunitz, James Wright. These are all poets that became kind of nationally famous. So apparently they came to the Blue Moon and also a novel was written there. Yeah, so it's like a lot of beatniks and yeah, the 50s. I'm not, I mean, I wasn't around, so I don't know too much, but I, the stories I've heard is it was, it was pretty packed every day with a lot of interesting characters. Let's talk a little bit about the ownership, the history of the different owners. So there was Reverman at the beginning, and then there was a whole litany of people. Who do you recall among prior owners, kind of as you start to take the reins? Um, there, well, the only ones I know is Gus. I, I've never met his partners, but him and two other partners bought it in 1982, I believe. Okay. Or three. Um, I bought it from his daughter. Okay. So since I've been there, there's only been one owner. Gotcha. And he was a carpenter by trade. He wasn't a very hands-on owner. <laughs> he had his day job, basically. And then there was a period of time where the Blue Moon, it sort of was going to be redeveloped. In the 70s, they remodeled and enlarged the tavern. Uh, 1990-ish, there was a big, that the property, from what I understand, actually got sold and was going to be developed. And there was a huge public outcry. There was... You know, meetings with the city council. There was a push to get it um, national registered for historic landmark. And due to that pressure, the owners that bought it to develop it decided not to develop it and gave us a 34-year lease instead, I believe. And I think it was going to be turned into like condos or an apartment or office or... Yeah, it was going to be kind of like, a, you know, offices on the bottom or stores on the bottom and, and condos or apartments on top. Yep, and if our guests want to stop by the Blue Moon, there's a great book. I think it's called Forever Blue Moon that yep. you can actually purchase there. You can get it online, too, at our website. Yeah, and it kind of goes through that. It's many, many pages about that whole battle between the community of the Blue Moon and the real estate developers. And and I think they ended up developing the building just to the north, another whole other yeah. big tower. That, that so. was the, the one to the north was supposed to be all incorporated. I see. Because right behind the bar, there was a parking lot where part of the one, the building to the north was built on. So it's interesting. There have been so many owners. So I went through and did a little research. So 1934 was Reverman and Fairchild. He became a World War II flight instructor. There was Joseph and Mad Walsh, Vera McCracken, 
in the 40s, and then someone named Jim David purchased with his brother in 1950, and then he sold a share in 1959 to his brother Jack. 1966, there was tavern owner and arcade operator Stanford Pohl and Dr. Paul Children, who was a dentist. In 1966, Blue Moon Incorporated opened the tavern. It's just amazing. Um, in 69, Pohl and Chilton, they kept the real estate and then sold it to someone named Red King Enterprises, who was Larry King, who operated the Red Robin. He was shot in front of the tavern in 1970. He survived. It was probably just a robbery or something. But in 74, he sold it to someone named Fast Eddie McWinney, who was a partner and a bartender at the Blue Moon. And then in 82 was these three fools, John, Robert, and Gustav, Gus. And then in 87, Paul stole his interest to someone at Westlake Capital. And I think that's when the move to redevelop it happened. So so tell us more about that manifesto, if there's anything you recall about it. I wasn't around. It was before your time. But I recognized some of the names on it, a lot of the names on it. I still, you know, there, there's still a lot of old regulars and a lot of old people from that time that hang out and come by on special occasions or when they can. So I don't know a whole lot about it, but it mostly was just community coming together and fighting for what they wanted. You know, it's, you can't just take this place away from us like that. From your perspective, how is the Blue Moon distinct from other places in Seattle? What makes it special for you? Probably a lot of it's the un, it's unchanged. A lot of the, the decor, the attitude, it's, it's stayed pretty much the same. Though, you know, the scene, the kind of people that hang out are different. You know, it went through, you know, a beatnik bar, a biker bar, a hippie bar, and, you know, now to a full-blown music venue kind of. It's just something about it where people come back and they're like, it's just, it's, it hasn't changed. They're like, they're, they walk in after not being there for 30 years and they're like, I remember this, you know, and it's, it, it's something about that not, it, it's staying the same kind of thing. That was part of the inspiration for me to start this podcast. It's been almost five years, was just that Seattle was changing so quickly. And it just seemed so important to preserve stories, A, for old timers like myself that have been here, because it's so dizzying, the amount of change, and also for people that are new to the area to kind of introduce them to what Seattle you know, is, was, and could be. So maybe sort of bring us back, paint a picture about elements of the decor that haven't changed. Well, they changed, in, I guess, in the 70s. It expanded, and the new booth got built. There's carvings in there that are from that time. Okay. You know, people's names, that you know, couples that put a little heart and their name in it, you know, in 1975 or something, and it's still there. Like I showed you the, the pool table light that, you know, sometime in the either early 80s or late 70s got shot up by some drunken staff after after hours. Um, it's got bullet holes in it, so it's hanging from the ceiling still. So it's just a reminder of past. I think she so go through in the in the blue room there's a whole wall of of newspaper clippings from you know that date back some of them date back I believe to the 50s and then there's some from the 60s and there's some from the 80s so it's just decades worth of history of the bar What's the blue room the by wall. the way? What is that? That was kind of like the quiet room someplace where groups could go back and talk and hang out and you know play play card games or whatever. Um we shrunk it now it used to be bigger but we shrunk it to add more storage. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you look around the walls and the ceiling, and there's just stuff from different decades and different 
types of people that came in there and wanted to put their mark on it, I guess. One thing that you pointed out was super cool was the um, patina of smoke because, you know, in earlier years, you could smoke in bars. And so you can kind of date the items in the ceiling from whether there's like a smoke haze sort of embedded in the, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, the, the smoking ban, I believe, was 2005-ish, somewhere 2005. I found I found newspaper clippings about it, but Seattle Times actually had Gus, the old owner, on the, a picture of him, and it was all about the smoking ban. Was he against it or for it? Or uh, he was completely against it. Uh huh. He was a smoker at the time. I was a smoker. Um, I wasn't so against it because it it made my life easier <laughs> as a bartender, basically. Um, not people not blowing smoke in your face. <laughs> not blowing smoke. It'd be cleaner. I didn't smell as bad. And a lot of things. Though I was a pack a day smoker at the time, you know. So, but it was we we actually lost business because of the smoking ban. You know, there was a number of regulars who I believe never seen again started drinking at home where they could smoke while they're drinking, mm. you know, so they just stopped going to bars because they, they liked having their cigarette with their drink. And then there's a few big, huge blow up um, illustrations of the original of the bar from the thirties. What struck me is all the taxidermy wild animals. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's another thing in the Pacific Northwest, right? In the thirties, yep. there were more wild animals running around. Oh yeah. Well, half of Seattle was still forest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've been part of Seattle for a long time. Anything else to sort of note about the changes in the city, you know, especially the people, maybe as it relates to the patrons. When I first moved up here from California, everybody is complaining about all the Californians that were moving up here. I, I think now it's more people are moving here and have moved here, but they're just from more different places. When it used to be a very big influx of Californians, now I find people from all over the country, all over the world, you know, more so that probably make up a better percentage than just the Californians and New Yorkans and Floridians, the big states. And it just, it adds kind of a melting pot of what, what the Blue Moon's always been. I know, like, after the Vietnam War, a lot of, a lot of the guys that are still... I guess in the Blue Moon family, who who still come back for the special occasions and stuff, are all moved up here after Vietnam from all over the country and stayed. They found themselves a home and all became friends, and that's part of what's what made up the family, the Blue Moon family, as I considered it today. You know, it's like a you know we go camping every month, every year, and a lot of that crowd are all all came home from Vietnam and met up at the Blue Moon. I asked you earlier to think of a place that matters in the Pacific Northwest, and you said you might mention the place where you go camping, but if you can share what that is and who goes um, and what happens. We, we call it Sam Lissac. It's actually, now it's French Cabin Creek. It's a free campground, and we just, every year, a group of us get together. We go up, we put up a main camp. We put up a, like a 30 by 90 foot tarp, about 30 feet in the air, with a big communal kitchen. And then everybody has their own little camps. Every you know, there's multiple family camps where there's three generations of people, and there's you know everybody kind of does their own thing more now, where it used to be a lot more communal. Um, but where, where is that? It's out uh, off the Cleelum River. Okay. Outside of Roslyn, and you know Gus, the old owner, lives in Roslyn now part time, and 
we have a sister bar up there called Marcos. Everybody always stops at, and it's just every every year. This will be the fiftieth year it's been happening, and it every year we just go up there and it's it's a it's family time. We that's what it is. It's we have a cocktail party on our big weekend. The second weekend we have a big cocktail party and everybody dresses up. Everybody makes food and it's a big you know it's just a big party. So I'm just kind of curious when, you know, how people become regulars, you know, you probably see, have seen that, right? Where people just drop in almost whatever, accidentally or whatever. What? A lot of it's the neighborhood from what I've seen in the past as from when I've been there. People that move into the neighborhood and start coming in kind of regularly, when they move away, they'll, they'll, they'll come back. Like I know a lot of people when they move out of town, whenever they're in town, they make it a point to stop in. But a lot of it is is the neighborhood, you know, because it's you know it's, it's something you do. You go to the, the the bar nearest you and hang out, you know. So it's, um, but for the most part, we're kind of on an island. I call it, you know, it's like it's it's a different world because you have Fremont and Ballard now with so many bars, so you can just you know they they can people can Uber down there and just go to ten different bars, you know, and if they don't like one, they just walk down the street and go to the next door, you know, um. So yeah, it's it's different because it used to be one of the you know there there was very few places that you know guys from UW could go, mm. and it was harder to get around. So then you know we were we were close and we were one of the only ones they could get to. And there's really nothing else around like the Blue Moon. There's not really any place like it. I I've talked to people from all over the world and people have said there's not really any place like this. You know, and I mean, that's from people from New York, people from London, people from other parts of Europe. And they're like, this place is special. And then, I mean, we've had visitors from all over the world come in and say just that. You know, I was like, my friend was here and he came here and then he was like, you're going to Seattle, you got to go to the Blue Moon. And I hear that more and more, you know, and it's, it makes me feel good. It, it It's pretty awesome, but it's, it's just, it's just what it is. I don't know. I mean, it's. The Blue Moon is a special place. Why did you then decide to take ownership of the place after being a bartender? What kind of triggered that? Well, the previous owner went through a couple years of turmoil with her husband. He had uh, an accident which caused severe trauma that she had to deal with and with COVID she was having problems with COVID I guess and I guess um, she called me one day and it's like I can't do this anymore and offer me the bar mm. I mean I've always dreamt of owning it and I, I'll be honest I was playing the lottery so I could win money to buy it and own it but it kind of just fell in my lap how did you feel um Excited and and frightened and terrified and kind of the same as I still do, <laughs> you know. Now uh, my license just went through, so it's actually my bar. Everything is coming together, so it's it's, but it's still it's 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 a bigger path than I've ever been on. It's more of a responsibility than I've ever had, or maybe wanted to have. <laughs> but I mean, I so I wake up every day. I I do the till and I sweep and mop the floor and look at the emails and check the mail and do whatever I have to do to keep going. 
What, if anything, would you change or will you change now that you're the owner? Well, the first thing I changed was the hours. So when I did take over, we were just open for shows. And now we're, we're, we're actually, we were closed on Tuesdays, but we're going to open up Tuesdays to be open every day. And opening up at just as a bar at four o'clock. There's a um, sociologist named Ray Oldenburg who wrote a book called Celebrating the Third Place and then a follow-up book, I think 11 years later, called The Great Good Place. And he featured the Blue Moon. He had this theory just about how important it is to have a place that's different from your work, different from your home, where you can go and be in a community of people. And I'm just kind of curious. It's interesting that he singled out the Blue Moon as an example of that. So I guess that leads credence to your thought that you know what people tell you is there's nothing else like it. Yeah, it's definitely a community still. It's it's a smaller community that's there regularly. Um, there's a much larger community that if they all got together at once, we couldn't fit them. Um, they couldn't all fit in there at once. Um, it, it's just one of those things, you know, daily, daily lives change. People, you know, quit drinking or their 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 priorities change. They have children, so they don't they don't come to the bars as often as they used to. And it's not a place where, you know, most bars now aren't, aren't places where people come and sit and talk about life or what's happening in the world. Where that used to be, um, we still get that once in a while. We'll get groups of people that come in that, you know, and they'll use it as a gathering place to reunite. Um, it's also a gathering place for artists. That's one of the things we do on Sunday. It's we got sketchbooks where people draw and do stuff. And we're we, being a music venue. It's a it's a place for you know up and coming bands and people that you know can't get get shows at bigger venues. They can come and play there. We're kind of a we're, we're kind of a, a starting block in that sense. And I think for that it's probably where we've transitioned for to your community is 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 the music is just being that starting block where new bands that have never played before can play and get their you know get their feet wet and get out there and have a place to to do their thing what are some of the bands that have played there over the years that you like or remember one of them comes to mind that kind of got their start there started playing there back in the mid 2000s is the moon doggies who are now pretty big and they will, you know, they're, they're playing the tractor and, and places like that now, or Chris King and the gutter balls. is another one that they will play the tractor, but they started when they moved up here from California, they, they started playing on Sunday nights, just doing a thing, you know, and it was, it was just a start. Um, there's older bands that, you know, like Kinski and Diminished Men who were coming back for the anniversary or, you know, been playing around town for a long, long time and pretty well known, and they, they play the Blue Moon. We got now the Andy Co band on Mondays who could go somewhere else and play for, you know, a much bigger crowd, but they decided to come and play for us on every Monday. And it's 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 the bar itself that that helped drive that because it's, it is a special place. And it's fitting to what they're doing and it's fitting to their crowd and it's awesome because it's one of the best Mondays in Seattle. I'm curious, how has being a part of the Blue Moon shaped you? How has that shaped your perspective? I guess it's 
kept my mind open on a lot of things. One of the things I love about it is I get to meet all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of lives that do all kinds of different things. And that's what I've always kind of liked about bartending and the Blue Moons. Uh, it, it's no different. It's, you know, you get lawyers and doctors and, you know, construction guys or dog walkers or, you know, there's, it's just a whole plethora of people, you know, and from all different walks of life that they come in there and everybody's kind of the same. It's just humanity and everybody can sit in there and be who they are and talk how they talk and it's all good. And you just get to get to meet people of, from everywhere. And when something does go bad, when there is somebody freaking out or causing a problem or trying to be, trying to fight, there's always the, the, the crowd there always helps, you know, and, and, and you see the good come out of the crowd because they're, you know, this just this one person. It's not that whole fan base of this band or the, the whole crowd. And that's always, I guess, nice. When you got to deal something with it like that and you get help. So, Dooley, one of the things that you mentioned is that you're not necessarily good at small talk, and yet the very job and also your business now relies on that. So I'm just curious kind of how that road is for you. I don't know. It's 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 kind of hard. I I kind of struggle to have to try to start a conversation. I'm good when there's a conversation started. <laughs> I can I can answer questions or, or get involved in something, but trying to start something that's always been kind of I mean hard for me. I'm just I don't know if it's shyness or you know I, or what it is, but I've been trying harder to be more you know open, I guess, or forthcoming or be the one to start conversations. But I've been to your bar and I see people love you. <laughs> so I find it really interesting that you find it very hard, but other people actually enjoy being around you. Maybe it's related. I don't know. It, it might be related. I I don't get it. I've always wondered why so many people like me. Um, I don't know why. I'm, I don't think I'm that nice, but <laughs> uh, anyways, I don't know. Um, I just, I just never... I, I'm kind of the guy that will sit at a show and just sit in the corner and listen and not, you know. But I, 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 I'm actually, it, it's been in my mind that I actually have to work on that as part of me being me and being more social. It's something I got to work on. It's sure. remarkable that you do it very well. And I also wanted to mention that when I pulled up, there were um, sketchbooks all over the bar and big buckets of markers and things. And so can you explain what that's about? Because it's, Surprise me. Um, cool. That's our Sunday night thing. Um, our new bartender on Sundays, for, she's decided she wanted to do an art night, and it's been awesome. We have sketchbooks and all kinds of art supplies, and it's an open draw. Her rules are don't think too much, and there's no rules. Um, you can, you know, add other people's art, or they can add to yours, you know, and just flip through the sketchbook and find something, an open page or something you want to add to, and... And go for it. I had read somewhere that Lane Staley was a regular there, and you told me absolutely categorically not. He would hang out at the. Yeah, he he might have been in there a few times, but he wasn't a regular, from what I've been told by other bartenders that were working uh -huh. there at the time. Um, he used to hang out more at the Rainbow next door. What other stories are mythical and not true that you hear about the Blue Moon, but you don't really think they're valid? Well, like like Jimmy Hendrix playing there, I don't think is valid. Um, a lot of those stories were, you know, people who used to play there. And I think some of that comes from 
people confusing it with the rainbow because the fabulous rainbow back in the 70s and 80s was a killer show place and the Ramones played there and B.B. King and Etta James and Robert Cray. And I think sometimes people mistake the two. But I know Nirvana had a drink in there after playing a, a show at the record store across the street. But yeah, it's when Tom Robbins came in to dedicate the mural that we had on the side of the wall of his creatures or characters from his books, he said, I could quote him on saying that he, he wouldn't be who he was if it wasn't for the Blue Moon. So it's like he's he's probably the most famous guy I've met that's been a regular at the Blue Moon, you know. Um, you actually met Tom Robbins? Wow. When he, he came in, we had a big mural on the side of the wall that somebody destroyed during COVID that we had to paint over, but it was all Tom Robbins' characters and... That was pretty awesome. He came and uh, dedicated it. So I got to meet him then. And the alley apparently was renamed Rothke Muse in honor of Theodore Rothke at some point, like in the 90s. That's the alley. Yep. I believe that's actually official from the city. Is the place a landmark then? Is it like an official historic landmark? It it is not designated from what I understand. Okay. Um, It's on some lists, but it's not officially designated as a historic landmark. Well, it's interesting because a landmark, from what I understand, a historic landmark, if it's designated by the city, it's the building, the architecture, the facade, the exterior. But what seems to me what's special about the Blue Moon is when I went inside, it's the um, vitality of the inside and the layers and layers of history that is important. And I, I don't know if that would be protected. Well, I know on the, like the facade, it's one of the few that are left from the 30s that haven't been changed. You know, like the Rainbow's facade has changed a bunch. A lot of the older buildings like that, the facade and what's actually there in the front has been remodeled or changed, where the Blue Moon hasn't changed at all. Hmm. That that front facade is exactly how it looked in 1934, or even, I think, 1921 or 22 when it was built, you know? So, but the, yeah, the inside is definitely where the history's at. So the outside hasn't changed, but the sign is different. So what's the story with the sign? There's the original sign inside, back by the stage. Yeah, from what I understand, the original sign hung out too far over the sidewalk. I'm not sure if it was when the buses got bigger or when the parking got taken. It used to be a, that used to be a parking. You used to park on the, the side right there. And I'm not sure when that parking got taken away and it became a four-lane street, moving street, that that happened. I'm not sure of the exact reasoning for that sign going away, but we've the sign had to shrink. Gotcha. It just seems like over and over, over the years, Seattle t- wants to, you know, I guess maybe any American city, it tr- sort of trims back all the things hanging over the edges and make things a little bit more tame. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a beautiful old sign, so I'd encourage our listeners to obviously stop in and talk to Dooley, grab a drink, but, you know, check out the cool original sign there back by the stage. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. 88 years, duly bought the place. Let's keep it going. Cheers to the blue moon. Join us next time when our guests will be Seattle artist and Instagram sensation, Seattle Walk Report, a.k.a. Susanna Ryan. Susanna uses her distinctive comic style and eagle eye to illustrate the charming and quirky people, places, and things that define Seattle's neighborhoods. Thank you for joining us today. Daniel Gunther is our sound engineer. Photography by Brandon Williams. Production support from Mary Barbour. 
Theme music written by Toma Nakayama and performed by Grand Hallway. Additional music by Ryan Hunt, as well as music by Kinski recorded live just last week at the Blue Moon Tavern. We're recorded at Jack Straw Cultural Center in Seattle's University District, just down the street from the Blue Moon Tavern. I'm Edward Krigsman, and you've been listening to Power of Place, Stories of the Pacific Northwest. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know of a place in the Pacific Northwest that matters to you, please tell us about it. We'd love to hear your stories. 